Hey guys, thanks for watching online. We are honored that you chose to give us this time. We have people watching from all over the world. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, please come and be a part of one of our local campuses because your experience with church shouldn't end online. It should just begin there or be a supplement to being involved in a local community. So come uh, be a part of one of our local campuses. And, and if you live outside of our area, please contact us. You can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email us. Uh, we will be glad to do some research where you live and find a good healthy church to recommend to you to plug into because we want you to be involved in a community. So we hope these messages bless you. Uh, let us know if we can help you in any way. Uh, God bless you again. Thanks for watching and I look forward to seeing you really soon. We're glad you're here, uh, period, but we're glad you're here because we're in this series going through the book of John, the Gospel of John. It's the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament, fourth book of the New Testament, and it is uh, an incredible, incredible book. We're going verse by verse. We named it Jesus because that's all John talks about, and that's all we want to talk about is Jesus, right? I mean, man, Jesus is the leader here. Jesus is the one who sets our agenda. Jesus is uh, the heart we're going after. It, it's all about Jesus in this place, and so we just just wanted to talk about Jesus, and that's what we're doing through John. And we're in the portion of John, John chapter 3, that contains the most famous verse, arguably, in the entire Bible, and that's John 3, 16. Ken quoted John 3, 16 a moment ago, and I'm going to read it now. I would like for all of us to just read it together, okay? So we're going to throw it up on the screen, and, and, and John 3, 16 says, let's all read together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Isn't that just an amazing verse? I mean, man, this verse, I, if you do not have this verse memorized, I want to challenge and encourage you to memorize this verse. Make it your family project. This week would be good for you, for your kids to do this together. Let's memorize John 3, 16. Uh, you can talk about it at night. You can quote it to each other. Memorize this verse. It is so good. I mean, it, it, is, it is an amazing verse. Martin Luther actually called this the heart of the Bible, and I think that is an accurate description. He said it's the miniature gospel. I think that's accurate because it is a one-verse summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Last week, we zoned in uh, on a phrase. We, we looked at the phrase, for God so loved the world, right? And we zoned in, we zoomed in on the word love, and we talked about God. God's love. God so loved the world. Not just the good, but the bad. Not just those who go to church, but those who go to strip clubs and every other place they shouldn't go, right? I mean, God loves you. He loves the world. I mean, isn't that just amazing? That doesn't just make you happier than a unicorn riding a rainbow. I mean, man, that just makes you happy that God loves the world. And, and so, man, this is an awesome, awesome uh, uh, concept and awesome reality. Not a concept, but a reality to know that God loves the world. It's beautiful, but what happens is many people have taken this and distorted the beauty of this verse or the beauty of the love of God, and they've taken it and marred it by saying, you know what, uh, that means that love wins. And love wins has become a mantra uh, to really say that, man, uh, everybody gets in because love wins. In other words, God is a God of love. God loves the world, and a God who loves the world is not going to tell anyone to go to hell, right? That's the mantra. It sound, oh, that's the song the world sings, it seems. But it is a completely warped and bad song. It's like cotton candy, man. I mean, man, it, it, it's like it sounds good, it tastes good, but it will rot your soul, right? And, and so God does love. But did you know that the Bible also says God hates? 
I mean, you say, yeah, Pat, I know it says he hates sin, but did you know it says he hates the wicked? Let's, I, I wanna show you, in, this is a concept that's through the Bible, but in uh, Psalm 11, verse five, here's what the psalmist says. The Lord tests the righteous. The righteous are those who know him, who believe in him. Christians, the redeemed, believers, however you want to term it, that's the righteous. We're not righteous because we act righteous or always do righteous things. We're righteous because Jesus gives us his righteousness. So the Lord tests, he doesn't, doesn't tempt, but he, he tests the righteous. But look at what it says, but his soul hates the wicked. His soul, man, he's not just saying, man, but I don't like the, the wicked and what they do. This is strong. When you say my soul hates something, you're saying very strongly that your soul, hate, you hate it, right? And it says that God's soul hates the wicked. Now, we would think that this would say God's soul hates the, the wickedness or the wicked things people do. God hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Wow, that's, that's pretty strong right there. That's pretty strong. So the Bible's clear, God loves the world, but the Bible is also clear, God hates the wicked. Now, how can that be? Man, I, I can't explain that fully to you. I mean, we all know what it's like to have a love-hate relationship, right? I mean, man, I have a love-hate relationship. I love some things. I love peanut butter milkshakes, right? I love them. They taste so good to me, but I hate them because they're so bad for me, right? I love college football. I mean, it makes me so happy. I hate it because it makes me sin, right? I mean, it's not good for me sometimes, right? And so you have love-hate relationships. You love certain things, but you also have this. Well, God has a love and he has a hate, and I can't explain it fully. It's one of the tensions that is real and that we have to be okay with in the Bible because God's too big for us to figure out. So the point's not to mind the depth of that because I couldn't today, but the point is this, because God loves the world doesn't mean love wins and everybody gets in because God, God, God love wins. That is not what that means. Some say God loves the world so much that he gave the world multiple saviors. I mean, he gave us Jesus, but he also gave us Buddha. He gave us Muhammad. He gave us Confucius. He gave us whatever other savior you want to add in there. He gave multiple saviors. And if you're sincere, all those paths, roads lead to heaven, right? So God loves the world that much. No, folks, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God loves the world so much that he gave his son, Jesus. It's exclusively in Jesus. As a matter of fact, that's what makes Christianity just absolutely get so many people riled up because it is exclusive. It is only Jesus. The Bible says there is no way except through Jesus. It's not whatever you believe is okay. You're right. Whatever you believe is good for you. Whatever I believe is okay for me. No, that's not what the Bible says. It's Jesus and only Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're condemned. It's exclusively Jesus right? Now, uh, you've studied in school, you studied uh, American history, and uh, man, I, I, the Bible is really a story of redemptive history, right? And that's why we're here today. We're here to, to study, to talk about redemptive history. And that's what we talk about on Sundays, on Wednesday. That's what, that's what when you read the Bible, that's what you're studying. And redemptive history says this. Let me just give you an overview in a nutshell of redemptive history. God created the world and everything in it, right? I mean, he created peacocks and he created rhinos and he created ribeyes and red velvet cake and rosé. He created everything, right? He created human beings in his own image. He put them in the Garden of Eden and he gave them one command to obey and that lasted all of about 15 minutes. 
before they crashed and burned and did the one thing he told them not to do, right? And when they did that, God said, when you do it, you'll die. And he didn't just talk about physically. He, talks, he was talking about spiritually, separated from him. So when they crashed and burned, God said, you know what? I love you. He's so gracious. He's so loving that he said, I'm going to provide a way for you to escape my judgment. And so he calls a man named Abraham in redemptive history out of pagan idolatry. Abraham was a pagan idol worshiper. He didn't worship God. He didn't follow God. He was worshiping idols and, 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 and he was a pagan worshiping idols. God called him out of that to himself. And God said, I'm going to make you into a great nation and all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. Well, that nation was Israel. And Israel, like Adam and Eve before them, like every human being after them, uh, after Adam and Eve, until today, Israel repeatedly rebelled against God, did what God said not to do. And so God sent them prophets to call them back. I love you. I'm going to provide a way out. He sent them prophets. And what did they do? They killed the prophets. They killed them. And God said, you know what? In his grace and love, God said, I'm going to send my son. And, he, and rather than graciously receiving his son, they killed his son. But God, in the killing of his son, God said, I am so, I, I, I love you. And in his grace and love, God, as they were killing his son, Jesus, he took the sins of all who would believe in him and gave them to Jesus on the cross. He took Jesus' righteousness, his perfection, gave it to all who would believe in him on the cross, transferring our sin to him, his righteousness to us, to pay the price for our sin. That's the story of redemptive history. Now, I say that because here's what I want you to think about and get your mind around. If we understand that God did that, then to say love wins, everybody gets in. God sent his son, and who was brutally, gruesomely murdered on the cross for our sin. But for us to say God sent his son, and who was gruesomely murdered, and but you know what? Love wins, everybody gets in. Or that Multiple pastors, multiple saviors, and all roads lead. That makes a mockery of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. That makes a mockery of his death, right? So here's what the world says. The world asks this question. Why is there only one way to heaven? You see, that's offensive to the world. Why is there only one way? Why do you Christians think there's only one way? That's narrow-minded. I mean, that's, that's exclusive. You don't think, right. why is there only one way? Folks, that's the wrong question. Let me tell you the question Christians should ask. Not why is there only one way, why is there any way to heaven? That's the real question. Because you see, we're all rebels. We've all taken what God has given us and stomped on it. We all do the things that God tells us not to do. We live as if God is an afterthought. Sometimes he's an idea, maybe a topic of discussion. Uh, maybe he's not even that, but we do our own thing. God says do this, and we're like, well, I want to do my thing. We are rebels against God. So the question is not why is there a way, only one way. The question is why is there any way? And the answer that we just read in John three sixteen is for God. God so loved the world. It's the love of God. That's the answer. The answer is God loves you. God loves you. If you're a believer, what you need to understand today is God loves you. And if I, believe, I really truly believe if you could get that into the crevice of your soul, it would change you like nothing else. God loves you. Because, you know, here in America, everything in our life is based on performance. 
you're going to get a raise or a promotion or not based on performance. If you're uh, in sports, you're going to earn a position based on performance, right? I mean, everything in our life is based on performance. And so therefore we transfer that over and everything in our life. And so what we do is we have this bent toward religion and religion is the things that we do to make God happy. And then what we do is, is as believers and even as believers, sometimes we uh, are, are on the mountaintop and sometimes we're in the valley. And a lot of that has to do with how we feel we perform for God, because if we do good, then God surely loves us more. And if we don't do good, then surely God doesn't love me as much. And that is nothing that is further from the truth. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you could do. You could win 15 people to Jesus a day. Man, you could give all your money to the poor. You could give all your money to the church. You could quit your job, go on the mission field. You could do all that. And do you know that God's not going to love you one bit more than he does if you do none of that? If you're a believer, did you know that? Well, hold on, man. Surely, man, you might make God's heart smile with your obedience. Now, you do make God's heart smile with your obedience and God's heart sad with disobedience, but God's love for you, for the believer, is unconditional. Did you know that when you foul it up and, and you think, man, I, 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 I did this and God said not to do it, I, I mean, and I did it anyway, and then we say, oh, God is so, God doesn't love you any less. He loves you. He doesn't love me because I'm a pastor anymore. He doesn't love me depending on how many people come to church or how many people got saved today. I can't go home and say, man, we got, there were so many people made commitments to Christ today. Oh, God just loves me so much. And nobody did today. And God doesn't love me. And I, we, we can't ride that train, folks. God loves you. And that amazing, get that in your soul. That should just absolutely make you just literally, literally, that should captivate your heart. That should cause you to worship passionately. If you got that, I believe nothing would keep you away from this place. I believe that should cause you to worship passionately, give generously, love without limits. If you're a non-believer, here's what I want you to understand. You're not a Christian, God loves you. God loves his children with a covenant love that's unconditional. God doesn't love people who aren't his children with an unconditional love. That would mean with no condition. There is a condition for his covenant love and that is belief in Jesus Christ. Okay, it's a, it, there's a different love. But God loves you so much that he sent his son. He loves you. If we could get that, folks, I believe that it would literally, absolutely change everything within our soul. Today we're gonna focus on another phrase in this amazing verse. We looked at, for God so loved the world. And I hope, man, it has propelled your faith. Today we're going to look at uh, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. We're going to zone in on the word believe. And here's our bottom line. God gave, we believe. God gave, we believe. What you believe is important. God gave, for God so loved the world that he gave. God loved, God gave, we believe. God loved, God gave, we believe, right? God gave, we believe. Uh, let, let me, uh, let, let me uh, uh, help you to get, get this as we zoom in on the word believe because Jesus' death is sufficient to save everyone in the world, folks. All the billions that live in the world, his death is sufficient to save them all, but it doesn't. It only applies to those who believe. For instance, look, look at John chapter three, verse 18. We're gonna read it again in a moment, but look at what it says. Whoever believes... In him, in Jesus, is not condemned. That means if you believe, you're not condemned based on the word of God. But whoever does not believe is condemned uh, already. If you don't believe, you're condemned. 
okay, based on the word of God. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Believe is pretty important. It's mentioned a few times in that verse, isn't it? Look at John 3, 36. Later in the chapter that we'll talk about next week, it says, whoever believes in the son, Jesus, has eternal life. Folks, believe is important. Your eternal destiny hangs in the balance with what you believe. Okay? You are held accountable for what you believe. Believe is very, very important. And so, so therefore, it is important to know what it means to believe. Because we have this messed up view, I believe, of what it means to believe in our world. So it's important for you to know what it means to believe. And so I don't know if you know this or not, but this month, October 2017, is the celebration of 500 years since the Reformation. It's been 500 years since the Reformation, which is huge for us Protestants, right? I mean, uh, it's huge for us Protestants, the, the Protestant Reformation. And, and so, so therefore, it's, you know, when the Reformers revolted against uh, the, the, uh, the, the established religion that held people bondage of the day, they revolted against the, the Roman Catholicism of that day. And man, it's huge for us, us, us Protestants. And today is actually Reformation Sunday. And so let me, let me tell you what we're going to do today. I, I want to help you to understand what it means biblically to believe by looking at what the reformers taught about belief, because it's very important, okay? Because they lived in a world that they reformed and, uh, against a world that said, you are saved by your works. And now they come in and say, no, 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 it's what you believe. So you need to know what you believe, Okay. So they gave us three different phases of belief. Now, these are all Latin words. You've probably heard me talk about these at some, some time, if you've been here, if you're new. These are all three Latin words because these are reformers. So let's talk about the three phases that help you to understand what it means to believe. The first word is notitia. Notitia is a Latin word that means to have knowledge of the truth, okay? To have knowledge of the truth. Why is that important? because it begins to help us understand what it means to believe. In other words, belief is not just some irrational hope. It's not a leap in the dark. It's not a, man, I, 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 you know, we, we say I believe in a lot of things and it's irrational hope. We can talk about all kinds of instances, but let me give you a for instance, okay? Now you knew this was coming. Okay, a few years ago, a lot of people believed that Butch Jones would be the savior of Tennessee football, right? But they believed in a wrong savior, although sincerely. And Bush Jones has proven that he is not the one who can redeem football, Tennessee from football hell, okay? That's a wrong savior. So that was, uh, you know, that was a belief. That was a, you know, uh, I mean, sort of like this irrational optimism, this hope against hope, right? Well, that's not theologically what, biblically, what belief is. Theologically and biblically, belief is knowledge of the truth. Knowledge of the truth. Okay, so th th therefore, you got, what's the truth? Well, the truth is this. The truth is we are sinners who are separated from God by our sin. So the problem is, how do we, the problem of salvation is, how do you deal with sin so that you can be right with God? Now, the world says, uh, if you ask the world that, there are many ways the world says you deal with your sin. But most all of them deal with performance and works, right? Most all of them deal with what you do to be saved. For instance, if you go out this week, do a little test. Go ask 10 people that you work with or that you know, hey, listen, when you die, do you think you'll go to heaven or hell? Well, heaven, I hope. Heaven, I hope. 
right? Now, if somebody says heaven, I hope, that means probably hell because they don't know, to be quite honest. Heaven, I hope, listen, heaven, I hope, well, then you can follow that. Well, why do you hope it's heaven? Why do you think it would be heaven? Well, because, man, I'm a good person. That, I'm a good person. I mean, I, I mean, listen, I, I mean, we can always find some lug nut in the world. You got ISIS, you got all kinds of lug nuts that I can say, look at that person, look at me, I'm good, I'm in, okay? So heaven, I hope, why? Because I'm a good person. I mean, I haven't killed anybody, right? I mean, I haven't killed anybody. I don't live in Kentucky. I don't have a mullet. I drive a hybrid for goodness sake, right? I mean, it's all about, uh, it's all about what we do. But the problem with that is, here's what I want you to understand when it comes down to performance. The problem with all of that is that the people who nailed Jesus to a cross, the people who murdered Jesus in the Bible and the New Testament were the most moral, spiritual, and religious guys in the New Testament. Did you know that? Here's what I want you to know, folks. Hell is and will be full of good moral people. Did you know that? Hell is today and will be full of good moral people. And by the way, where, where would the line be if it was about works? And wouldn't that be so sad? I'm so thankful that God is so, I mean, if the line was about what we do and our works, some days I would feel like really good. And those days you better say, Lord, uh, it'd be better for the Lord to take you then, right? Because tomorrow you might not be so good. And it's like, uh-oh, where's the scale? Is it tip back? Right? And so, man, there's never a security. There's never an assurance. What kind of a hope would that be? Uh-oh, I, I, I did this. I mean, what, where was the line be? I mean, is it okay if I, if, I, if I cuss as long as I don't kill anyone? Is it okay if I lie, but I'm doomed if I commit adultery? Where is the line? Wouldn't that be just a horrible way to live your life? Where's the line? Well, Jesus tells us where the line is. And get this, here's the line, perfection. Did you know that? Jesus says, you want to be right with me? You want to be in heaven? Then you've got to be perfect as my Father is perfect. Jesus, you see, doesn't see good or bad when it comes to salvation. Jesus doesn't see good or bad. He sees perfection and imperfection. You've got to be perfect. Well, I don't know about you, but that dooms me. I mean, I am not perfect, okay? I was not perfect from 6.30 last night until about 9.30. I'm not perfect this morning. I'm not going to be perfect when I leave here. That dooms, that's bad news because I'm not perfect. But that's what the gospel's all about. For God so loved the world that he gave. Who? His son. Who was what? Perfect. Jesus was perfect. You see, he was born of a virgin. Very important because he, he didn't have the transmission of sin. He didn't have the sin gene I was born with and you were born with. He had no, and then he was not only born perfect, he lived perfect. He never thought a bad thought. He never objectified a woman. He never had said a bad word that dishonored God. He never did a bad, he never sinned, lived a perfect life, which allowed him then to, to die on the cross as my substitute. And because he was perfect, he paid the price. Perfection is required. Jesus paid it. And, and, and when he was dying on the cross in his perfection, because he was my substitute, when I believe in him, here's what happens. God gives me his righteousness and he gives Jesus my sin. He gives me his, imperfect, he gives me his perfection and he gives him my imperfection. Isn't that just so awesome Man, that's amazing. That, that, that's just the greatest news ever. I mean, that's the truth. That's the knowledge of the truth. So people have to have the knowledge. That is what notitia means. Notitia, the reformers said, and they just put it to words. It's what the Bible says. 
to believe. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes. Well, what does it mean to believe? It means that you have to have first a knowledge of the truth. A knowledge of the truth. But here's what I want you to understand. A knowledge of the truth doesn't save you. Do you know Satan, the enemy, knows that Jesus is God? Did you know that? He knows that, but he hasn't surrendered to him. And he will burn in hell for all of eternity. So a knowledge isn't good enough. It has to be accompanied by the second step, the reformers said. In steps, the reformers said the second step is this word, a census. A census means that you assent or you have a conviction that you accept it as truth, right? That you accept it as truth. You can know the truth and rebel against it. As a matter of fact, many of you did that for years. Many of you became a Christian as an adult. We baptize a lot of adults here, and I'm so grateful because we baptize people not for salvation, but because they have given their heart to Christ. And so when we baptize adults here, that means that many of you, you know, you grew up and maybe you went to Sunday school as a child. Maybe you went to vacation Bible school. You heard the Christmas story. You heard this truth, right? You heard this truth. So you had knowledge of the truth, but you didn't accept it as the truth, right? You can know the truth and rebel against it. Our objections against God are normally not academic, folks, okay? Our objections against God are moral. In other words, we don't object God because scientifically I can't prove it. We object against God because I don't want to surrender to his way of life. I don't want to get off the throne. I want to wear the throne because I'm the king of my life. I don't want to get off of the throne of my life and give that up to him. That's a moral objection. That's not an academic objection. So we can know the truth. Many of you rebelled against that truth for years. So a knowledge of the truth is not enough. I will take it a step further in saying agreeing with the truth is not enough. Agreeing with it's not enough. That's what Nicodemus did, right? Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he said, Jesus, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. He had made observations and he drew the correct conclusion. He agreed with it, but he was lost. This was a dude who taught theology in a seminary, okay? He knew the word of God. He would have shouted, I love God from the mountaintops, but he didn't know Jesus. He knew the truth. He even agreed with it. He sort of accepted it, but he didn't submit to it. And so therefore, it requires knowledge of the truth. That's, that's, uh, 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 that is notitia. It requires a census, which is accepted. But there's a third step before it's applied, before it's true belief. And that third step is fiducia, the Latin word fiducia, which means that you literally know it, you accept it to the point that I give everything to it. I'm all in. I know it and I accept it and I give everything to it. So much so that my entire life is revolving around this truth that I know. You're going all in. That's how we know Abraham. For instance, the Bible talks about that. The book of Hebrews is an incredible book. And in the book of Hebrews, it's got a section called the Hall of Faith. And it talks about, you know, this person believed. And it talks about, so here's what it says about Abraham. We talked about Abraham a moment ago. He was a pagan idolater. And Hebrews says this about Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, there is a belief that's not credited to you as righteousness. In other words, there is a belief that doesn't save, right? And that belief is... I know the truth and maybe I agree with it, but I didn't went all in with it. But Abraham 
believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And the writer of Hebrews goes on and tells us how we know that. Why? Because Abraham responded. He gave his life to it. Here's what we know about Abraham. Abraham was a very wealthy man. Man, he was well-established. He was older. He wasn't a young buck. He was older. He, he was well-established. He was very wealthy. God comes to him and says, I want you to give it all up and go where I tell you to go. Now, at that point, you can imagine if you are a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, man, you live in a, I mean, a cush house. You drive a nice car. Man, you, you have influence in your community. And God comes to you and says, I want you to give all that up and quit your job, sell your house, and just get an RV and go where I tell you to go. You're like, huh? Well, Abraham did it. It says he left Ur, which was his town, and he became a great nation in Canaan. Now, here's the thing about it. It was credited, he believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness because we see him act upon it. It changed his life. Here's what God didn't do. God didn't say, Abraham, I'm calling you to pack up everything, sell out, get in an RV and go down the road, and, and I'm gonna wait and see what you do, and if you get far enough down the road, I'll make you my child. You see, that's what, I mean, Abraham didn't clean his life up. He, he didn't do, and then get down the road, and God said, okay, you've gone far enough, now I'll save you. He said, move, and Abraham moved because he believed God and it was credited to him as right. That's what belief is. Belief, if you truly believe, it changes how you live. You, what you believe determines what you behave. You don't, salvation has never been about what you do, it's about what you believe. Then what you believe changes what you do, okay? Let me give you an example, another example, just a, a real life example. Now, my son Isaiah, I mean, man, he is nine years old, and he, Daddy, will take me fishing. I'm like, okay, son, I'll take you fishing. So I took him fishing. So he said, Daddy, will you take me hunting? And I'm like, so I'm trying to do everything I can, you know. I mean, you know, this is my, I've got five kids, and he's like, man, I don't want to spend all the time I can on my kids. So yeah, I'll take him, I'll take you hunting. So man, I got him a crossbow, right? And so I was going to take him deer hunting. So we go out in the yard, and this, this dude, he's a, he, listen, he's got one arm, and he's a better shot than me, I promise. I ain't lying. He can outshoot me. He can. 20 yards, 30 yards, man, he can put a group of arrows in a, within an inch group. In a, in, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Dude, how you do that? You got one arm, dude. How you do that? You know, I don't understand it, but he can do that. Now, now I mean, isn't that amazing? Now, if I brought him up on stage today and I said, all right, I'm going to put the target up here and shoot. And I thought about doing that. And I thought, no, what if an arrow was to bank off of something and go into somebody over there? I hope you know, y'all better know Jesus in this section because we're getting ready to shoot right here. Right? And so... But I said, I better not do that. I mean, he's like, uh-uh, okay. So, but he can put them in, arrows in a, in, a, in, a, in a, I mean, an inch. He can group them in an inch. And I said, how many of you believe he can do that? You believe he can do that? And I said, yeah. I said, okay, you believe he can do that? Great. You're going to come up then and hold an apple, and he's going to shoot that apple. <laughs> so he said, hey, I don't believe it that much, right? I mean, I, I think, man, he might have got lucky. I'm not saying he didn't do it, but I'm not holding an apple. Well, you know what? That's exactly what belief, that's fiducia. See, you would have, you would have notitia. Well, that's cool. He can do that. You would have uh, a census. That's, that's all I believe he can do. I think he's like, but fiducia is the one you get up out of your seat and said, I believe it so much, I'll hold an apple. You see, that's what it is. That's what, that's what saving faith is. That's what saving belief is. It's not Oh, man, Jesus is cool. I love the story of Jesus. He really died on that cross. He is, man, he's my homeboy. 
Isn't that what the shirts that you buy say? Foolish. I mean, and, 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 and I hope you don't have one of them shirts. Don't make a mockery of that. Jesus, it's like Jesus is, is, is so, you have the knowledge. You have the knowledge and you accept it, but man, you haven't went all in with it, right? That's not saving belief. In the Bible, in the Bible, saving belief changes everything. Let me finish this out by reading, God gave, we believe. Let me finish this out by reading John 3, 17 through 21. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and son, the only son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, folks, here, let me, let me just wrap this up in about five minutes and tell you what this said. After the most famous verse in the Bible, in the context, here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes God gave, we believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Incredible verse. Then he goes and he says, God didn't send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world. Okay, Jesus came not to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. It was condemned in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve bit the dust, right? So he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to redeem the world. Now, there will be a time. That was his first advent. His second advent will be a time when he comes back to bring judgment, right? His return. But when he came, is what we celebrate as Advent, as Christmas, his first time. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save the world. The world was already condemned. We were like the children of Israel. You remember the story in Numbers 21 where he told immediately before John 3, 16, when he talked about how the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they disobeyed God and they were rebelling against God and God sent snakes to bite them and they were dying and they were writhing from the poison of the venomous snakes and it was killing them. And God said, look, they said, what are we gonna do? And God told Moses to make a bronze serpent, put it up on a pole. And if the people looked upon what was killing them in faith, they would live. You see, they were looking at the snake. The snake was what was killing them. It was a foreshadow of Jesus is what God was doing. And the Bible doesn't tell us, but the implication would be that there were some Israelites that said, that's stupid. I'm not going to look at that snake. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. And they died. When the cure rate was 100%. All you got to do is look and believe and you live. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. We're just like that snake or those people of Israel. You see, the, Jesus, he didn't come to condemn the world. We're already condemned. We are dying from the venom of sin that's within our veins, and we want to get it out. And how do we do that? Well, what we want to do is we want to cut it, and we want to suck the venom out. We want to do it our way, and God says, no, how you do it is this. You look to Jesus who was raised up and believe, and you'll be saved. And just like many of the children of Israel, the people in our world are like, that's crazy. And the cure rate's 100%. When you look to Jesus, God gave, we believe, right? When you look to Jesus, but here's what John said. John told us, do you know what the crazy thing is? Most of the world's not gonna believe. Why are they not gonna believe? Because they love the darkness rather than the light. And people who love the darkness, what happens when they come into the light? The light exposes their wicked deeds. That's what John said. 
You see, people love the darkness. And when you come into the light, the light exposes our sin. The light exposes that uh, what sexual immorality is sin, right? And that word sexual immorality is just a junk drawer word for anything sexually immoral that God says not to do. And when people who want to live in sexual immorality of whatever kind of immorality that would be, when they come into the light, the light exposes that that is sin. I don't want to come into the light. When people believe that they are superior to anyone else because their skin color is different, that is, that is completely opposite of the heart of God, completely opposite of the gospel, the light exposes that as sin. And people who love the darkness don't want to come into the light. When people who lie, when people who cheat, when, when they don't want to come into the light because the light exposes that their deeds are evil. So John said most of the world doesn't come and but, but come into the light because they're, they love the darkness. They look at the Jesus and they say, that's crazy. I want to do my thing. I want to do my thing. So he says, but John says, but he who believes is not condemned. He who believes is not condemned. So do you believe? Do you believe, if you believe, uh, John says, uh, when, when you look to Christ in belief, you're born again, you're made new. Here's what happens. John says, he who believes, he who says, I know the truth, I accept it, and I, so much that I'm going all in with it. Here's what happens. Then God does something in your heart that he gives you a new heart. It's called rebirth. Spiritually, you are born again. You once, and, and, and he, he begins to transform your life because you are a brand new creation. And he begins to transform your life and make you a brand new person. Whereas once, for, and it's all for, for, for your eternal good. He transforms you for your eternal good. Whereas once, you love the darkness, now you love good. Whereas, whereas once... Whereas once Jesus was an afterthought for you. He was maybe a topic of discussion. Jesus was an idea out there somewhere. Now Jesus is your life. Whereas once you look to other things to satisfy you. You look to money. You look to sex. You look to companionship. You look to hobbies. You look for a lot of things to satisfy you. Now you know that Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy. So when he transforms you, it is for your eternal good. But it's not just for your eternal good. It is for his eternal glory. That's why John said that people will look and see that your works come from God. Why? What does that mean? It means that when God transforms you, here's what's so cool. When God transforms you, your heart is made new. And that means then that people will look at you and they'll say, God did that. People will look and they will see that God gave a dead man life, a blind man sight. God did that. And God, so it's not just for your eternal good, it's for God's eternal glory. So Jesus died, yes. I mean, it, it gave us great benefit. And, and was it just for our sake? It was, but was it just, no, it was for God's sake. It was for our eternal good and God's eternal glory so that you will be redeemed and God will be magnified and praised. Right? So here's what happens. You know, you know a lot of people that pray to prayer. I know a lot of people that pray to prayer. They joined a church, they signed a card, they got baptized, and there is literally no difference in their life. Do you know anyone like that? I mean, the only difference in their life is, man, they keep doing the same things that their friends do, the same thing they've always done, and they think the only difference is I've got to get out of hell free card in my pocket right now. I'm cool. 
right? Because I know the truth. I know Jesus was, you know, he, but, but, but here's what the Bible says, and, and, and I'm not the eternal judge, which means I do not know anyone's heart. But based on what the Bible says, someone who claims to know Jesus, someone who got baptized, who prayed a prayer, who joined a church, but there is no transformation in their life is not a true believer of Jesus Christ. They never truly believe. They might have had a census or they might have had no tisha, a knowledge. They might have had a, sem- a census. Man, I, I, okay, I agree with it. But they never went all in because when you go all in, it changes everything. Okay? Now, that does not mean you're going to be perfect. Don't hear me say that. But if you claim to know Jesus and your heart still loves sin and your heart still loves the things that, that, that dishonors God and you have not grown in your hatred of those things and for your, toward your love of God, then... Were you really born again? Right? There, the Bible talks about no, the Bible says where there's no transformation, there's no salvation. Here's the thing. If God has the power to redeem your soul from hell, he has the power to change your mind on sin. Okay? You will not be perfect. I promise. Uh, that, that you will not be perfect. You will never arrive you, until you get to heaven. You will not be perfect. But if your life, if you are born again, you should love the things, you should hate the things that oppose God. You should hate racism. You should begin to hate sexual immorality. You should begin to hate lying. You should begin to hate anything that dishonors God. You, you, oh, that just sort of turns my stomach a little bit. And you should begin to love the things of God. If you've been born again, man, you should literally want to be at church worshiping with the saints. You should want to be in the community, not just because so you, what you might get out of it, but so what you can give God in praise and glory because of who he is and what he has done. If you have been born again, you should want to do the things that honor God, to live a life that honors God. So here's my question. Are you born again? That's the question that Jesus it's talking about Nicodemus, right? You must be born again. So are you born again? Don't just avoid that question and say, oh yeah, check that box when I was 10. Are you born again? You're not gonna be perfect. But is there transformation? Is there, is there change in your heart, in your attitude, in the thoughts, and how you respond to God and how you respond to people and how you love God and how you love people. I don't know if you uh, noticed it today or not. I hope you did. But as Travis was leading us in worship, he led us through a journey. He led us through a journey of, oh, how we love him or oh, how he loves us, talking about God's love for us. And then he came right out of that and went, talk, started singing about our love for him. Because if we have true knowledge and belief, biblical belief in his love for us, I promise it will cause you to love him. Man, it will cause you to worship passionately, give generously, love without limits. It will cause everything in your life to transform and change. Are you born again? Man, if you want to know that or talk about it more, come back and see us at the next steps. We're going to, Travis is going to come out now and we're going to go into our, our, our response time. And here's how we're going to respond. Man, uh, I don't know how you're going to respond. You're going to respond, I hope, how the Holy Spirit leads you. We're going to respond by giving. You know, we respond by giving, tithing. I've already done that. I know some of you have online. You can give on our app. You can give online. Uh, please download our app and just for information, but app and online. I, I set it up reoccurring. 
If you've done that, thank God. God, thank you for giving me, giving so that I can give to you. We're going to respond by tithing. We're going to respond. Some of you need to repent of something because you, you, God is today as you've learned more about being born again and believing. Maybe he's brought some sin that's in your life that he's just given you a distaste for and confess that. Some of you just need to say, God, help me to hate sin and love you more. You just respond however God is leading you to respond. We serve a God that loves you so much that he gave his son. You respond according to that, would you? Let's pray together. God, we love you. God, thank you for loving us so much that you gave your son that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. God, help us to know you gave, we believe. Thank you for giving. Help us to believe. In, we're, in our unbelief, help us to believe. For those who believe in you, upon you today, I pray that you would do something so amazing in their lives. I pray that you would begin to rearrange. I pray that you would begin to, Lord, just literally take us places within our soul. Lord, do stuff that awakens things within us for your glory. God, I pray that it would be obvious to the people in this church, to the people outside of this church, that you're doing something great within the people who believe in you. Help them to see that, you're, that, that uh, Lord, our works are in you. Thank you for dying for our eternal good and your eternal glory. Help us to believe, Jesus. Help our lives to prove what we believe. Today, I pray that people who don't know you would believe. You gave. God, help us to believe in Jesus' name. Amen.